Thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning, and thank you church for singing so passionately and for worshiping so so well. I, I mentioned family meeting. Family meeting uh, is like one of the greatest moments of worship in our church, and we, we sing like that, but with a very, very full room, and so uh, I just, again, want to uh, invite you to come to that. If you've, if you've been around Overland very long, you've probably heard a joke about Fat Zach, and um, I'm not the one who came up with the Fat Zach jokes, but I was the Fat Zach, and uh, I... I um, People look back and see pictures of me from several years ago, and they're like, man, you lost weight. I really, I really did lose weight. I lost 50 pounds, and I've kept that, that 50 pounds off. Um, here's the truth. I've struggled with my weight for a long time. And so um, 2008 is kind of when, when my struggle started. And I was a, a senior in college. Remember, I was not like a 22-year-old senior. I was like a 20 four or five-year-old senior, not because of victory laps, by the way, just because I've, I did other stuff before getting there. 2008, I came up with a campaign. I wanted to lose weight, so I came up with this campaign. It was looking great in 08, and I had a plan. And it was looking fine in 09. It was looking, look like, yeah, looking, like, looking thin in 10, looking like heaven in 11. Uh... 2012 was just tough mutter. It was like I was going to train and do a tough mutter. It was just tough mutter. And then 13 was something, uh, looking lean in 13. It was like, so I say like I struggled with my weight. It was a long time that I, I struggled with my weight, and it didn't stop. And in 2020, when COVID happened, I actually lost weight. Anybody lose weight during COVID? So here's, here's why I lost. I quit going, Right. I, I quit going to the gym, and so I lost muscle. You're like, you had muscle? Like, I did. It was, it was under some fluff, but I had some. I stopped going to the gym. And you know what I, I did? I, I, I ate Captain Crunch, and I ate vanilla wafers. We called them love cookies. Jennifer and I would sit in the chair and binge watch Tiger King or whatever it was and eat vanilla wafers. She's like, don't tell anybody who watched that. You watched it. I slept. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that. Um, and so I, I started gaining weight. And, and I really did get, like, I gained this weight back. I looked like a busted can of biscuits. My, I, I remember I went to Dylan and Kristen McNamara's wedding, and um, I, put on my, I put on, like, a dress belt, and it wouldn't, like, it wasn't going. And I walked out in the garage and grabbed a drill. And I just drilled a hole in it. Like, fix that, you know. Made my belt fit fit, and uh, after that wedding, after eating like all the ice cream or whatever they had, I decided like I need to lose weight, and so I went on like, you know, my 19th trip, or, like my 19th time of like I'm going to lose weight, and um, I lost some weight, and, and, and I got down, but someone recommended an app called Noom. Yes, yeah, you've done that. Well, here's the, here's the thing about Noom. Noom's a good app. It, it helped me lose weight, but you have to eat the meat and spit out the bones, which is really odd kind of thing to say about a, about a weight loss app. There's a bunch of this pop, secular psychology in it. And in the, in the beginning, and, and they teach you, really, it teaches you to calorie count. It teaches you the right foods to eat. It's really good. It's, there's a lot of really good things about it. But there's this, like, 
kind of pop secular psychology that I'm like, yeah, I just like there's there's something deeper here. And so one of the things that they did in this app is they they said um, you need a mission statement to lose weight. So you've got to know the why and why you want to lose weight. And like maybe you want to look good in a bikini. And I thought I. I'm not going to wear a bikini. That can't be the reason. Maybe you want to look good with your shirt off. Well, the, the only person who ever sees me with my shirt off is Jennifer. And she's just got this unconditional love for me and just likes me however I am, you know. And I'm not going to take my shirt off in front of you, you know. So I, that, that, that's probably not going to like, that sh- probably shouldn't be the reason that I want to lose weight. Um, what are some, some, some other reasons? I was like trying to write this mission statement. I'm like... So much of why I've wanted to lose weight in the past has been I want to get in shape to hunt, to be in the mountains. And if you're going to be in the mountains and you're going to go hard in the mountains, you've got to be in, in good shape. And So my hobby, can my hobby be the reason I want to lose weight? That's probably actually not a good reason to lose weight either. And what I began to discover and dive into as I like worked through writing my own personal mission statement that my goal for losing weight could not be to be attractive or to be sexy. But man, weight loss in America, I will tell you, is largely about outward appearance. In our culture, what we've done is we've tied our, our, our outward appearance. Like remember, remember, in this series, we're talking about being made in the image of God. And we have a problem with our, our image. We don't like what we see in the mirror. And we've tied what our bodies look like to our sexuality. We've so got these two things interlocked and intertwined in our culture that what we look like ascribes value to us based off of our, our, our sexuality and who finds us attractive. The two things are interlocked. In America, in 2022... It was projected that we would spend $3.8 billion on weight loss. That's, that's your like wraps and your pills and, and it's your Weight Watchers and it's your Noom. It's your good stuff too. Right? We, we care like $3.8 billion will be spent on weight loss this year. And, and for most people, the reason they want to lose weight is to be attractive. However... We're going to spend $9 billion on plastic surgery this year. $9 billion. And so, um, it, like, that's the shortcut, right, to looking, looking good. It's like, okay, I can't have self-control. I got money, so I can, I can buy it. But more than that, we'll spend $100 billion on general cosmetics in our country. Our, our, the our world and the way that in which we view ourselves, our, our, our health, our physical bodies, is very much tied to sex and sexuality. And we've, we've connected them to our worth. And so when we've talked about in this sermon series, we've used, we've used this analogy of the bee sting and the beehive. And as we've addressed gender dysphoria as a bee sting... Right? And we've, we've, we've looked at this cultural moment that we have and the confusion around what it means to be made like, in our image and our bodies and, and, and uh, the dysphoria that, that we, we have. 
the closer we get to this, this beehive that is our sexuality, like we're going to look at, look at our image. I told you in the very beginning, we don't understand our identity and our image in Christ. The closer you get to human sexuality, the more times you're going to get stung. And so that is, that is where we are. And so here's, what I, here's my big truth today, and here's what I want us to walk away with. And I, I want you, in the, in the frame of, like, what, 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 where does our worth come from? Where, where is our purpose? What is this mission statement that we should have for our bodies? Here's the big truth that I want you to know. You were made in the image of God, for God, and for God's glory. You were made in the image of God. We've been talking about that. But you were made for God. God had a purpose in creating you, and it is His own glory. It is God's glory. And I'm going to show you today why this is a good thing. In the second sermon in this series, I, I, I was talking about, I, I showed us how we can't disconnect our mind and our bodies, or our soul and our bodies that you are both and that you can't dis- disconnect them. So it can't be that here I am and uh, I've, I've got one, I've got a, a boy's brain and a girl's body or a, for me it would be the opposite, it would be a boy, whatever. I, I, I'll get confused. Um, it can't be that, that they're connected, that our, that our, our souls and our bodies are connected and they, they, they don't separate. They're together. And so I use this passage of Scripture, and I want to dive into this passage today. So it's in the book of Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, Paul first uses some of this language in chapter 3. He uses more of this language in chapter 9. It is a theme throughout the book of 1 Corinthians as, as he's dealing with a cultural problem in Corinth. And the cultural problem in Corinth had to do with um, this, this Greek kind of uh, philosophy that that the body and the soul were disconnected and that gave permission to do a whole lot of things sexually. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 12, we're going to go through verse 20. And so he says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. All right, let's start taking this apart. Let's look at verses 12 and 13 as we begin to dissect this passage. 
So you'll notice in 12 and in 13 the quotation marks. Paul is quoting uh, a stated, uh, uh, you know, a, a sayings. These are common. Paul actually used these a, as well. And so here's the first. All things are lawful for me. He uses it twice. All things are lawful for me. His reply to the Corinthians when they're talking about sex, this is in the context of the sexual uh, sins of their time, all things are lawful. His response, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So they're not helpful, and I'm not going to be dominated. So all things are lawful for me. This was this, was this, this mindset that, that happened in... Corinth, they thought, okay, we can do this. This is, um, this is very much this hedonistic uh, Greek worldview colliding with Christianity. And so in that, their worldview that, that they could do anything um, sexually, that there was a ton of things that were permissible. I'm going to explain why they believe that in a minute. Uh, it's colliding with this idea in Christianity that we don't live under law. New Testament Christianity, but under grace. That there's not something that we can do that, that is going to cause us to lose our salvation or cause God to, uh, to not love us or not care about us, that, that we live not under the law, but under grace. And so these two things, these kind of worldviews were colliding, and people in Corinth were, were using it as an excuse to sin. Paul says unspeakable sins. Even, even sins that aren't, aren't, aren't believed to be okay among unbelievers, some of you are, are doing them. So they, they may be lawful. His reply back was, they're not helpful. They're not good. All things may be lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. Like This is not going to own me. This, I'm not going to be enslaved to sin, but I'm going to be a slave of righteousness. I'm going to be a slave of Christ. I'm not going to be a slave of this thing. So here's the next kind of... Uh, philosophical thought. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And here's where they were going. He's saying, okay, food, um, you, you're hungry, you eat. Right? That's what this means. Food is meant for the stomach. Uh, you have this urge or desire to eat. What do you do? You eat. So the thought process is, you have the, this sexual desire, what do you do? That sexual desire. This is, this is the point that he's arguing against. We're going to see this throughout the text. That the, the, the point, this isn't, this isn't a direct, uh, direct point of like, okay, you shouldn't just be a, be a gluttonous. He's going, no. This is the, the point being sex, and he's saying, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And so here's my first big idea is that our bodies are made for the Lord. Our, our, our bodies, our purpose, so kind of going back to thinking through that mission statement, like why, why lose weight? Why take care of my body? What's the use of my body? What's the purpose of my body? My body is not merely to fulfill this inner sexual desire. That's not the purpose of my body. Uh, my body isn't just simply for my Pleasure. Know that my body is for the Lord. Remember I said about the Corinthians that they had this thought process that, that your body was separate uh, from your soul. And so that 
That meant you could do something in your body, but your soul would be fine in, in, in whatever the next life is or next state is, that those two things aren't connected. So sexually, you can, uh, you can, you can do whatever you want, and it, and it doesn't matter because it's not your soul. It's not going to hurt your soul. It's not going to hurt who you really are. And so um, he's just arguing against this. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not, that's not its, its purpose. It's fulfillment's not going to be found in it. And I'll tell you, like, that's the, the massive lie of our culture. That's why we tie all of it together, that, that we're saying that, hey, this, you're, you're this, this sexual thing that you desire, if you achieve that, when you achieve that, it's going to fulfill you. And anything that, any, any lie that we get to in life that says, if you just get this, it will fulfill you, it is a trick of Satan. It is a lie that we so easy, easily believe. That if you just get this thing, it will bring you happiness. It's simply not true. It's, it's a lie. It is Christ who brings us joy. It is Christ who brings us happiness. It's not going to be found in sexuality or in, our, in the way that our bodies look or in the things that we do or the things that our bodies get to experience. It's going to be found in Christ. The body isn't meant for sexuality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The Lord is going to be what fulfills you. What sustains you? There'll be times that, that maybe in your life where you've thought like, man, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. Like, I was made for this. I, I, I'm made, I love what I'm doing. I'm made for this. this is just, I just feel like I'm in, in, in the zone. You know, maybe for you, that's like basketball. You know, I think there's probably several seven-foot, incredibly athletic people in the room. Um, actually, No. Uh, there's not any seven foot. Thomas, you're close, but you're not. In, you're not there. Um, crazy athletic. Can you dunk? I didn't think so. Uh, just kidding. I, did, I didn't know. I didn't know. I really didn't know. So what happens to somebody who goes like, "Man, I'm created for this. I'm created for basketball. Basketball's the thing that I do. I, I love basketball. I played basketball. That's who who I'm created for." Like, what happens when you have an injury and you can no longer play? What What happens when you get old? And you can no longer do the thing that you were convinced that you were created for. What happens? Maybe, maybe you're, you know, you're, you're in your 20s and maybe you think when you look in the mirror that you look like some sort of Greek god. And you're like, man, I was just created to be attractive. The Lord just created me and just blessed me with attractiveness. Guess what's going to happen? Stuff's going to sag. It's going to get old. You're going to get old. And it's no longer going to be what it once was. And so whatever like purpose that you ascribe to your life, that thing's going to change. Maybe you're good at making babies. Well, guess what? One day you won't be. Right? You might be good at raising them, and then they, they're going to be raising, they're going to be wiping you at some point. Right? That's how life works. And so if you like think, this is my purpose, this is what I'm made for, that thing's going to let you down unless it's the Lord. The Lord is the one steadfast, unchanging, unwavering thing that God, when he designed us, when he made us in his own image, he made us for. I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to jump down to first, verse 19. We're going to come back to that. But in verse 19, he says, Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And so here's the idea, is that your body uh, was made, was designed by God to be a temple for the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to live in you. 
That's the ultimate best design of God that His Spirit was going to live in you. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Right? It's, it's painting this picture of the, the crucifixion. And Jesus, Jesus was crucified on the cross for our sins that those who would believe in Him would know Him. Would not perish but have eternal life. Right? Would be saved. We use a lot of different language. So Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but what? But it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I once lived in the flesh, now I live by faith in the Son of God. And so... That's showing us again, our bodies are meant to house the Holy Spirit. And so here's the beautiful thing that I want you to see. If you know Christ, if you have faith in Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. What God has worked in you is working out. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. At our church, we say all the time, if not in the power of the Holy Spirit, then in the power of who? And so we want to live with the Spirit that indwells us. Our bodies are made for the Spirit. Our bodies are made for the Lord to be in us. Now here's my next point. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Verse 14. God raised the Lord and He's going to raise you. So here's the big idea. Our bodies are made for eternity. I want you to understand that. That when, when, we are, when, when God made us, He made us for eternity. Now, with eternity in mind, to be with Him, I believe that when we die, in the moment that we die, I believe the Bible teaches this, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That when we die, um, our, our bodies are just there, but our spirit goes to heaven. And is, I believe that's what Scripture teaches, that you're with God. But there is a day where there will be an earthly resurrection. It's talked about in multiple places in Scripture where the dead in Christ shall rise, that our bodies will rise, and our bodies will one day be in heaven. So it may not look exactly what it does. I don't know what alliteration, like, you know, is it like your 90-year-old body if you live to 90? I, I don't know, is it going to be your, like, 20-year-old? Like, do you get to pick? I don't think you do. Um... <laughs> You know, is, your, is my nose going to be fixed in, in heaven? I, like, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think, I think what this means, I think we'll have glorified bodies. I think we'll have redeemed bodies in heaven with God. But this is what I do, do know for sure, is that our bodies, our physical bodies, get to be in heaven with Jesus. And that is what will matter to us. Our eyes will be on Jesus. We won't be looking at a mirror and going, I don't like the way I look. We'll be looking at Jesus and going, I like the way he looks. I, I want to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible describes that what we'll be doing in heaven is worshiping. That we will be crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I just bring this point to say, our bodies matter and they'll matter in eternity. So, verse 15, we'll keep going. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Are you, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so here's my next big idea, is that our bodies 
are made for holiness. Our bodies are made for holiness. The Bible, te- the Bible tells us, be holy because God is holy. Be holy because God is holy. That's why we ought to be holy. And so he, he paints this picture. Um, in Corinth, there was a, a, a secular temple. And in that temple, there were about a thousand women of the night. And men would come and men would go and visit those women of the night. He would, and they would do it. And so he's making this point. Like, Christians, you can't do that. Are you going to take this body that indwells the Holy Spirit, and are you going to go join it to, to, to the prostitute? Are you going to go visit the brothel? No, never. In our world, tied up in our sexual immorality and everything that's going on in it, in our own sexual revolution, I just want to point out a second. Uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. And that the, the sexual morality that we experience in our culture, it's just a different alliteration of it. It's just a different revolution of it. If we want to go back to Corinth, they, they, there was a sexual brokenness, right? If you want to look in the years ahead, you want to look at the years of Nero or the years of Alexander the Great, you're going to see that the same things, the same kinds of sins that we deal with now happened then. The same type of grotesque things that happened, the same sort of perversions. Man, there's different alliterations. I mean, obviously, they didn't have the science to... to puberty blockers and, and, and to change gender and those different things. But man, there, there were all sorts of perversions that happened. In our world, so, so their, their, their idea was you're separate, you, your, your body and your soul are separate, you can go what, do whatever you want. That was kind of like the cultural moral of the day. That's not a whole lot different than ours, is it? Like, our cultural is like, you be you, you find what makes you ha- happy, you do your self-fulfillment, right? You become who, who you want to become, be true to yourself, as long as there is consent, right? That's the, that's the sexual ethic of, of the day, as long as there is consent, This is always the easier service to preach these sermons in, by the way, because there's such little kids in the first service, right? And I'm like having to say things like ladies of the night and visit the brothel. Um, but I have a lot of college students, and so I want to be real faithful. And I'm trying to, like, trying to calculate the room here. Um, our world is telling you to go visit the brothel. And enjoy. And they're telling you that your desires will be fulfilled. And whatever that desire is, the good thing to do is fulfill that desire. Just you, you want it, you go get it. As long as there's consent. By the way, the, the, the 90s, it was, the sexual revolution was like, you go fulfill you. Go do what, you know, and that, that there's been this kind of caveat added as long as there's consent. I'm going to tell you that that is going to leave you empty and broken and wanting something else. 
You're going to go from one bed to the next bed to the next bed being unfulfilled. I could go through each, and that is why the sexual perversion, why there's so many different alliterations of it. That's why we look and we've got the different perversions and that it's LGBTQ and it just keeps getting, we just have to keep adding to try to find fulfillment because we've bought into a lie that sex is going to be fulfilling this thing. I want you to understand something. Sex is a good thing. It is a gift in the context of marriage. I feel like the easiest way for me to say this is that God has a good design. The good design is between one man and one woman and it is in the context of marriage and it is a blessing. It is a good thing. But we, because of the fall of man, have broken it. We are, we are broken, therefore, we, we have also taken sexuality, and our sexuality is broken. And so we keep looking for more and more and more. And so I, I would point back and just say, within the sexual revolution, as we're sitting here and we're talking about third, fourth, fifth graders, who we're looking at as a third, fourth, and fifth grader and saying your mind and your body don't match, you have gender dysphoria, that that really just, if you just follow that chain of thought, it has to do with sexual brokenness. Now, are they thinking about it sexually? No, but somebody along the way was excusing what they wanted to do sexually. All's good. All things are lawful for me. I should be able to do whatever. It's my body. It's my choice. I should be able to whatever I want to do with it. I, want, I should be able to do it with whoever will do it with me with consent. And that design will leave you broken. The Christian has no place in it. The Christian should reject the ideology that um, whatever is lawful for me, I'm going to do. We should rather adopt Holiness, because God is holy, we want to be holy. Shall we take our bodies that the presence of Christ dwells in and join them to a prostitute of whatever the world prostitute is putting forward? Never. Because in God's design, in sexuality, when the two become one, they become one flesh. And in our world of serial fornication and serial adultery, it leaves us in pieces. It leaves us looking for fulfillment over and over and over in something that God did not design to fulfill us. It's funny, um, research, so, sociological research, good, good science actually shows that what the world says about our sexuality is wrong. It, you find it, find it interesting that in, in, in our world today, it's a do whatever you want with whoever you want as long as you're being true to yourself and as long as there's consent, Right? That all across the board, every bit of research shows that America is having less sex than ever. Isn't that interesting? You would think that, no, if we're doing this, we're being fulfilled, and we're, we're, we're doing what the world says, that we should be having more, but actually we're having less. Well, big part of that is because there's less marriage. Right? There's, there's, less, there's less one husband and, and, and one wife living together as God designed. 
That, that's, that's where the, the beauty of it comes. Every, every bit of research would, would show sociological that a mother and a father living together in a home with their children is the healthiest home that that we've said for years that the foundation of an orderly society is the home and that the home matters and so I just want to want to say here we should be people our we should our sexual ethics should be that of holiness Right? We should be pursuing God's design for us. And so, I will just say to the people in the room who are not married. Do not believe the lie that, if you, like, that, that sex will fulfill you. To the people in the room, like when you think about um, choosing your, your spouse, looking for a, a, a godly spouse, and you're in that dating process, seek to be holy and to honor the Lord. When it comes time, like, there, there's, this, there's this big idea that is in our culture that says, hey, let's just fornicate. You can, it's okay. Let's go ahead and have sex before marriage. Like, um, you, don't, you, know, you wouldn't, wouldn't drive a car without testing it out, like some, something stupid like that. Um, I bought my truck from an auction, never drove it, just saying. Um, <laughs> maybe that wasn't smart, but anyway, it's not the same thing. Um, let's just move in together. Just move in together. Here's the truth. You know what sociology says about co- cohabitation before marriage? That, that your odds are, your, your actually percentage of getting divorced is actually way higher. And so, don't, don't move in together. Don't. Wait for marriage. Um, I, I, I would say this. I didn't say any of this in the first service, by the way. But there's a lot of college students. And I'm going to say, like, the Bible says it is be- better to be married than to burn in lust. I, I want to tell you what's best is to have self-control, right? So... Don't burn up in lust. Have self-control. Wait until the right time to date to be married. You know, I, I think we in our culture, as we've extended adolescence, right? We're, we're treating 24-year-olds like they're 14-year-olds. Like, we must stop. We as parents in the church must raise our, our children with a higher standard. We must teach them to be men and women that we've talked about the past two weeks at a younger age. Our ancestors, like our, if you look at the founding of our country, it was, it was, our country is being run by the people that we call adolescents. Look at, look at the founding fathers and their ages, right? And, and we don't trust those people to house it for us, right? So um, we, ha- we have to push back against this. That no, we are created for holiness. We're created for God. Our, our bodies have a purpose. So... Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So flee. We must flee the things that hurt our bodies. Flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Turn from it. Don't don't look at it. Don't, don't just the constant intake, the constant putting it in front of you, it is changing your desire. Remember, we've talked a lot about nature and nurture. Our culture puts this nurturing of this, this um, over, uh, over-sexualization of our culture. It just puts it in front of us all the time. It makes everything about sex. This is, one of the, this is the gift of Hollywood, Right? Remember that, remember that number, $9 billion. They didn't, they didn't get that from working out. They, they got that sewed on, all right? Um, 
Stop, I've said this before, stop taking advice on how to swim from people who don't know how to swim. We look to people who are drowning, people whose lives are a wreck, and we let them tell us how we should, how we should, what we should do with our bodies. Don't. Flee from it. Turn from it. I, I mean, that could mean a lot of different things. That could mean a real hard conversation this afternoon with a significant other. That could mean taking your computer out of your bedroom. That could mean moving your phone out of your bedroom, right? That, 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 could, that could deal with a lot of different things. I, I can't address everything in a sermon. Whatever it is for you, I want you to see what's in you. I don't, don't want this to be a moment where you go, well, I'm, I, you know, I don't think I'm a boy or a girl. I don't think I'm the wrong gender. Or I'm, 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 I don't have this dysphoria, therefore I'm okay. No, look at it and go, I want, I want to see the sin in my eye. I want to see where I struggle, and I want to flee from it. Yesterday, I was up in the mountains, and it had snowed, right? And I was following a set of deer tracks. My boys were with me. And all of a sudden, a big set of cat tracks merged the deer, right? Now, we had two choices. We could keep following the tracks, or we could turn the other direction. What does wisdom do? What did we do? We kept following the tracks. <laughs> I wanted to see where he was, you know. Like, we kept following the tracks. We actually followed him to private property, and then we turned around. Uh, wisdom says, flee. Last night I was running, and I had stopped because the dog was going to the bathroom, and I hear leaves crunching, and up comes this guy wearing a long trench coat. Do you think I waited for him to get to me? I don't know. I wasn't scared, but I was like, dude looks shady. Think I'll go, though. I think I'll just keep on my way, right? Um, there's, I can think of a, a thousand illustrations in life where we think, like, flee or fight? Flee, right? This is it, right? This is one of them. Don't delve in it or you will get got. Here's my next, here's my next big idea. Christ paid the price for your body with his own life. Listen to verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God? So we've already talked about that a little bit, that you're a temple, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Christ paid the price for your body with his own life. This is the good news of the gospel, that you were bought with a price, that your body was redeemed, that your body matters, it has value and worth. Don't just give it away. It has been bought with a price. Christ paid the, the, the price of his own life to redeem your body. Christ paid the price for you. Today, if, if you are here and you're like, man, all this is so new to me, I don't understand it all. Here's the one thing that I want you to understand. Is that all of us, every person in the room and every person on the planet has lived in rebellion to God. It is, our, uh, it is our consequence of the fall in Genesis chapter 3 that we are sinners, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that God, in His goodness, sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins that those who would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised His Son from the dead, that you will be saved. That means he's buying you, he's saving you, but it had a cost, and it was 
your body for His. He gave His life for us to redeem us. Therefore, live for Him. So this is what he says at the end of verse 20. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. That's the, that's the last big idea. That's like we're walking away from here today going, I need to glorify God with my body. Going back to the, the noom illustration. Going back to my mission statement of why I wanted to lose weight. It really couldn't be because I want to look good in a bikini. It couldn't be that I, I want to do my hobby well. I even, I even got in the level of thinking like, is it because I, I want to see my kids graduate college, right? I want to, be, I want to see my grandkids, right? I want, to, I want to live long for my family. It really can't be that. I mean, that's good. I want, I want those things. I, I desire to see those things. But my dad died of, my dad died at 49 of a brain aneurysm. My brother died at 51 of, a, of, of heart issues. No, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than, my, my, my purpose has to be more than just I want to live long. Or I want to I be able to do this thing. Or I want to attract people to myself. No, my mission statement, I wanted to be healthy because this body is a tool for the Holy Spirit. Like, my, my body is, is to be used by God for His glory. My body is for the mission of God. It is for the Great Commission. It's to love the Lord, the God, with all my mind, my, my body, my soul, and to love my neighbor as myself. It, my, my body is used for the purpose of the Great Commission. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. There has to be more to my body. It's to glorify God. That's, that's why I'm on this planet, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Later, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so they do it to receive this perishable, but we're, we're running in our bodies. We're seeking to glorify God, and it has eternal meaning and value. It's imperishable. It can't be taken away. It can't be, it can't be destroyed. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others myself, I should be disqualified. And so here's what I'm going to tell you is that we must use self-control in all things, in our sexuality. And I think, that's, I think that's the tip of the spear in our life, in our culture, that in our sexuality, we must have a biblical sexual ethic, biblical sexual morals, and we must live by them. We must believe them. We must trust that it is good, God's good. But then there's other things in my life that, that, that in my relationship to food, I, my, my relationship to food ought to be to glorify God and not myself. My relationship to, to health and exercise needs to be so that I can be used by God, not so that I can look good. Not so that I can, I can get the likes on the gram, right? It, 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 it can't be um, for, for my own glory. It's for God's glory. I, I need to look, and there's, there's all sorts of implications that we glorify God in our bodies, that, that we would sleep. That, that our bodies need rest, and we would acknowledge that our bodies need, need a break. That's why God gave us a Sabbath. He gave us a, a, a day off to, to, to rest, to be filled, to be filled in 
Him, that, that we would eat and we would, we would seek to be healthy, that we would work out, that we would move, that we would burn calories. All those things are important. Like I want you to think through the things in your life that have to do with your body and realize that the ultimate goal of all of those things is to glorify God. And so here's what I would just ask you to do today. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's glorify God in our bodies. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. Lord, your word says that uh, in your word, it's a, it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And that means your word says it steers us on how we ought to go and where we ought to go. And Lord, today may we be steered away from what the world says is good to what you say is good. Let us be steered away from the world's ideologies, the world's ethics, the world's morals into your truth. Lord, let us delight in your truth. Let us delight in your design. Let us see that the design that you gave for our sexuality and, and a marriage of one husband and one wife, let us see that it is good. Let us not believe the lies. Let us not be people of fornication, of adultery, of lust, addicted to pornography or homosexuality or, or any other sexual sin. But Lord, let us be people who want to live pure, holy lives before you. Lord, I know there's people in the room who are struggling who they've either been hurt, they've been mistreated, they've been abused, they've been lied to, they've been manipulated. I pray that you comfort them in this moment, that you sustain them in this moment. Lord, I know there's people in the room who have lied, who have manipulated, who have, have treated others poorly in order to get what they wanted sexually. And so, Lord, I, I pray that for, for conviction in this moment, that they would also see that, that they still have worth and value and, and dignity and that no matter, no matter the sin, that you still love them. But, Lord, would you transform us? Lord, we thank you that, that when we ask for forgiveness, you give it. That you forgive our sin as far as it is from the east as from the west, Lord. But would you help us to, to repent, to, to stop doing the very thing that we hate? Lord, give us the power to, to not continue in the flesh so that grace may abound. But Lord, let us live in truth. Let us live upright, holy lives following you instead of the prince of the power of darkness. Not following the course of the world, but following the path to heaven. So, Lord, let your word be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path today. May we read it and heed it, and may we follow you with our entire bodies. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.